New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Are UFOs and their occupants visiting our world? Are we all part of this great cosmic intelligence? There are a variety of viewpoints and experience of contact with aliens that have been reported by both civilian and military pilots and other military personnel, also scientists, government officials, and ordinary citizens have reported on their experiences with alien contact. Could contact with aliens be the greatest challenge to ever confront humanity? Today we'll be exploring the research of UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, and alien contact with extraterrestrials. Our guide will be Alan Steinfeld. Ellen Steinfeld is an explorer of consciousness, and for over 30 years, he's hosted and produced the weekly New York City television and YouTube series, New Realities, Making Known the Unknown. The series includes interviews with luminaries in the fields of health, spirituality, and UFOs. For five years, Steinfeld has emceed the largest gathering of UFO experts in the annual conference, Contact in the Desert. Ellen Steinfeld is a curator and editor of the book, Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. Join us for the next hour as we explore the nature of extraterrestrial contact with our guest, Alan Steinfeld. I'm speaking with Alan at his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Alan, welcome. So great to be here after listening to you for 20 years. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. I'm so d- delighted to, to be in contact with you on the, on the East Coast. We're making contact, aren't we? We're making contact, exactly. I would love, Alan, for you to share um, your journey a bit, you know, and how did you, your interest in this whole subject develop? Well, I always 
felt <laughs> that I was from someplace else, you know? I think there's one in every family. And I didn't seem to fit into the normal suburban American life. I, what are these people doing? What is this all about? I, I kept asking questions outside the box. I mean, why are we really here? And the other thing that went with that was I was fascinated with the stars. I kept looking up and what were these points of light? How come no one's talking about it? How come my family wasn't talking about it? And you know what? Actually, we're recording this on the first evening of Passover and we would always go to my grandmother's house and we I would see this big full moon rising and Passover was always on the full moon. I would say, wow, that is such an awesome sight. Look, I would, and no one seemed to care even about the moon. And, and I think it's probably one of the biggest moons of the year, this spring equinox moon, and uh, it's the planting moon, and it's a special time. It's a time of renewal. So anyway, I was tuned into other things and just watching the baseball game or, you know, Cub Scouts, uh, all these things, but I didn't really have an outlet to exploring that until I found science fiction. Mm. Right? Right. So which one did, did, did grab you first? Well... You know, I think Ray Bradbury, he, he, I mean, not just the Fahrenheit 451, but he wrote a book called, um, or a short story. I like just reading short stories. So I, there was one short story where these people go to Mars and they start planting the Martian soil and they start turning into Martians because they're eating the Martian food. And that just planted an idea about mm, how do we transform? How do we evolve? I think it was called Golden Dark Skin, Golden Eyes, or something like that. It was just one of his short stories. But it's like I started to think about other civilizations, other ways of being. And it was really exciting. To, and then Star Trek, of course, at of that course. time. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, exploring new new civilizations and and boldly going where no one's gone before. It's like, yes, I <laughs> right. I want that. And that just turned me on to a whole new way of considering reality. And I know that like those of us who watch Star Trek, they're were many, many in the next the next uh, generation, which was the next iteration of that. There were so many aliens depicted, and they were so clever to to change their looks and everything. And I was I was fascinated in your book that how people describe it's not just one species, let's say, of aliens. There is a variety. Can you say something about that? Well, it seems to be. I mean, just as far as my own personal contact, it didn't happen in a normal state. It happened in a dream state. And when you're in that other state of consciousness, it's hard to focus on specifics. But for many people who are more lucid than me, people like Whitley Strieber, who's probably one of the most lucid beings out there, he's described many types, or the little grays, the big grays, Linda Moulton Howes in the book talks about the Nordics and the reptilians. So, of course, space is full of life. It's an, I feel it's an emergent property 
of creation. I mean, look how abundant life is here between the sidewalks, little things growing up. So why wouldn't it be out there? So I think depending on environmental conditions, different species evolve with different intelligence and different forms. I think nature, wherever you are, dictates the sort of development of intelligence and sensory apparatus. So, Alan, what would you say, like, why are they contacting us now? I mean, maybe they've been contacting us for centuries, I mean, for eons, but but it just seems like the reporting is getting bigger and bigger. And why are they contacting us? What's, what's the purpose? Mm. Well, I think you're right. And from what I've read, the sightings have increased, um, the interactions with um, airplanes and government radar seems to be up in the last 10 years and actually really increased this past few years. So I think we're coming to, uh, uh, I would say, a break in the time flow. If I want to just use the title of your show, we're coming into some new dimensions. Absolutely. No, I really do think that this shift in vibrational reality is starting to take place and the veils between the dimensions are getting thinner. And they, from my perspective, don't belong in this 3D world. They, they can come and go, but we are now evolving towards this next level of existence or being where these other creatures are more uh, readily available. So we, as a planetary civilization, as individuals, as beings incarnated in these physical bodies, everything is increasing its rate. And I think this whole lockdown this last year somehow is connected to it. Don't you think? Oh, I I do think that there is something going on that is beyond... Um, our normal comprehension. I mean, there's a virus, but there's something else, I think, going on. And so you just brought up a whole bunch of things. I would like for you to describe, there are several things that happen where huge numbers of people saw the same thing at the same time. And there, the two that I'd like for you to speak about, one is the Phoenix Lights, and then the other was it happened... Um, I think in 1977, where the TV oh. uh, program in Britain was um, preempted, like, and there were like two million people saw that. So those two, if mm. it, those are very vivid, we'd say. Yeah, I mean, and there's more, but those two in 1977, where it's related in the essay in the book by Grant Cameron who's talking about Colin Andrews. And Colin Andrews, I think he was a sort of a technician. I think he was, he, before he got into crop circles, actually Colin Andrews coined the term crop circles when he went into his first circle in the early 80s, late 70s. But before that, he was hooking up this tape recorder and there was a television playing in the background, and he turned the tape recorder on right when the signal in his television got interrupted by this alien message that says, 
we are here. It's time to make peace on your planet. Um, um, put down your weapons, sort of like that sort of thing. And it was right when he pressed the recording. Somehow that whole synchronicity, so he had the whole recording on tape. And then a couple of years later, he goes into these crop circles and go, this is not man-made. This could not possibly be made by humans in the middle of the night, sometimes in rain. So maybe for Colin and maybe the rest of England that heard that message, there has was a preparation and initiation. That is what I think we're coming into. And that is what I hope the book is. Uh, it's an initiation for opening our minds to other realities. That is what the Phoenix Lights was. 1997, March, that these huge display of lights flew over the city of Phoenix and millions of people saw it. Even the governor, Fife Symington, saw it. Um, Lynn Katai was a doctor. Lynn wrote a book called The Phoenix Light. She's done a documentary. She was just a normal practitioner, GP, and it totally changed her life. She, I don't think she gave up medicine, but she, it just stunned her. It's like, and that's what happened. So she dedicated the next 20 years, really, or more to understanding what the Phoenix Lights was, what happened, who, who saw this, who are these beings that just appear and disappear. So it changes people's lives because it's not the reality we've been told it is. So the broadcast by Colin Andrews, what's that? The lights and, and the hundreds of thousands of sightings around the world. So what's going on? Exactly, exactly. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Alan Steinfeld, and he's uh, the curator and editor of the book Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash newrealities. And you'll see the many interviews he's conducted. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Alan Steinfeld, and he is the curator and editor of the book Making Contact. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about extraterrestrial existence. And uh, I, I know that there are so many instances of this that have been reported. I wanted to ask you, though, why is it that 
these aliens don't just make themselves explicit, like land on the White House lawn or something like that, you know, and say, hey, we really are here. But it's more hidden than that uh, in some ways. Can you help us understand? Yeah, it's a question everybody asks. And I think, you know, making contact, as the title of the book says, is not about someone else telling us that these beings are here. It's sort of an inside job. Each one of us has to expand our awareness to make something more possible. It also is traumatizing that way, I think, for just like Orson Welles found out in 1938 with the War of the World. (laughs) But if they come and go and make themselves known here and there, it starts to seep into the general consciousness of uh, of the civilization. And you notice that saying by Schopenhauer, truth arrives in three phases. First it's denied, then it's ridiculed, and then it's self-evident. So we are in beyond the ridicule phase because of the information coming out from the government that, yes, there's something out there, as the Navy reported that the Pentagon released... But we're not at the phase of self-evident. And I think if we keep having experiences, people keep having sightings, keep talking on programs like this, the possibility of what is out there uh, comes into their mind. It's considered. Well, tell me, Alan, are they always benevolent um, you know, and trustworthy, or are they meaning to harm us? Well, you know... I have to say, people ask that question because we humans are a lot more dangerous than, to each other than these beings. So that's right. That's the mindset. So I think if they wanted to harm us, that it would have happened already, and maybe they already have. But I know in my case, when I had sort of contact in this, I'll just say it was traumatic, but only because it was different. And I wasn't used to it. And it's taken me a long time to write this book, to accumulate this knowledge and and make peace with this, with probably the most amazing story to ever meet human civilization, that we are not alone in this universe. And, and that's a big break from the paradigms we've been taught to, to think about the world, that, that life is, is an accident and we are a freak of nature. But what if that's not true? What if the universe is abundant with life and consciousness and we have a lot to learn from these beings? So that's what's so exciting. They're here to help. People report they contact in many, many ways, like through telepathy or clairvoyance or out-of-body experiences or telekinesis or... Abduction, you know, the alien, I think John Mack, who's included in your book, really goes into the abduction. So uh, maybe we can talk about that because I think that you had an experience of that. I did. Abduction. And, you know, I have to say about John Mack, even though I think he died in 2004, the essay I put in this book was never published before. Uh, because it was, a, I think he finished it up around the time he died. And I asked his archivist for this 
permission and they gave it to me. And, and it's still very contemporary to the situation because he was just such a visionary. I know you did an yeah. interview with him. We did, yes. And so he, as a psychiatrist, as a clinical psychiatrist and the head of the Harvard's psychiatric department, he said, these people must be crazy talking about abductions and aliens coming in. And then he started to meet these people. And he said, no, these people are not crazy. They are having a genuine experience. So, And of course, Harvard said, no, you have to say they're crazy. You have to say there's some kind of pathology. And he said, no, I'm not going to say that. And there was a whole conflict where he's almost thrown out. And Danny Sheehan and other people defended him for, as freedom of speech. So he said, no, there's something outside the box of our reality. And one of his mentors was Thomas Kuhn. You know who he was? This, uh, Revolutions in Scientific Theory. He said, when anomalies come into view, just consider them. Don't throw them out. Anomalies are doorways to other levels of, of consciousness, other paradigms. So John took that advice and he confirmed that there was some underlying truth to these experiences and that cleared the way for other people to come forward and relate there. So I have to say in my experience and a lot of people, John that also met in Whitley, Strieber talks about, there is a traumatic um, encounter. There's a, be because the trauma is not that they're hurting us. The trauma is that the world is not the way we've been told it is. And 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 and, it, and you know, reality, I say, is more solid than the ground beneath your feet. When that is swept out, we don't know who we are. We don't know our, our identity. So we have to reconfigure our relationship to this bigger picture. And that's what the book really prepares us for. And I, I was thinking, too, from what I read was that there there are at least some alien uh, contacts who are very clear about that Star Trek uh, non-interference sort of thing so that they want us to come with our full self and our full personalities. They're not into that, but they're into a kind of co-creation, I guess, is what I would say. I think the opportunity that meeting the others, making contact gives, it expands our consciousness. It expands our potential of our humanity. I think that's what's so important. We have to open another part of our mind in order to relate to the possibility whether the, the, it, you actually meet something or not, it's the possibility that starts to expand consciousness. When we start to expand consciousness that way, more of ourselves come online. And that's, that's the benefit to welcome more of our humanity. Consciousness is about to take a giant leap as we're welcomed into the rest of the universe. Well, we sure need it. And I understand, too, from all the readings and all the interviews I've been doing lately, is that consciousness is a field. It's not just local in our own being, in our own brain, mm -hmm. in this organ called the brain, but it's really tapping into a field. That is one of the main points I make in the book, that exactly what you said. Consciousness is a field. So I'm talking to you and we're sort of in the same, we're human, we're in the same vibration. But when these beings, wherever they're from, show up, their field, 
their thought form field is so different and at a, such a different frequency and vibration, let's say, it shifts us. It, it, it affects us. There's a cognitive dissonance in a way. There's a cognitive distortion. So we have to practice lucidity. We have to practice being aware in many levels of consciousness in order to meet them on an even playing field. That's, that's why the field of consciousness is so important. You're exactly right, Justin. So I wanted to ask you, Alan, uh, now this one was a, a new, new one for me when I read about this, and several people mentioned it in the book, but I'm going to go to uh, Dr. Francis Crick, who was a Nobel Prize uh, winner uh, biologist in uh, the field of medicine, and he said, we are a created species, and he's talking about that Maybe back in Neanderthal time, there's something that came in and changed our DNA. Right. Well, it's in the book. Did you read the part where those scientists out in Turkestan discovered some gene that doesn't seem to be part of the evolutionary part of humanity? It's been inserted. And there is something that makes us different than all the other mammals on the planet. Look, we create houses and things and art and communication. There's some genetic mutation or hybridization, I feel, within the human DNA that has evolved our consciousness. And where the people look up in stars at space, we're looking up and most animals are looking down. So I think we've been modified in our genetic makeup to be higher human beings. Well, that's that's provocative. It kind of makes sense because suddenly, you know, Cro-Magnon and Neanderthals just kind of switched and their brains were much bigger than humans were born with bigger brains and so forth and so on. It, it just like something happened there. About 200,000 years ago, science tracks, there was some kind of genetic mutation, manipulation, whatever you want to call it, to change us into homo sapiens sapiens. And, and probably before that, but that's modern man. And then I, I read somewhere, Alan, where we only use maybe 5% of our DNA. Our DNA is not, not really turned on, so to speak, epigenetically, mm -hmm. <laughs> as Lipton would say. So we're only using part of it. So there's a whole potential there, right? Well, there's so much potential to the human being. Uh, that's one thing, the DNA, but there's so much potential to this field of consciousness because I've been teaching remote viewing, and I just give people numbers. This is coordinate remote viewing. And I say, okay, I'm giving you numbers. This is a target. And everyone in this class, as we develop got some aspect of the target just by looking at numbers. How is that possible? It's because consciousness itself is non-local. And this is what the ETs are trying to tell us. And of course, John Mack, my favorite saying that John Mack, um, and I quote him, he says, UFOs 
are like an outreach program from the cosmos for the consciously impaired. That's us. <laughs> That's great. I, I want to say just briefly about remote viewing. Um, the first moment I ever laid eyes on Michael Toms, my late partner and co-founder of New Dimensions, he had just con- uh, he had just finished a course with Werner Earhart called Mind Dynamics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you go back that far. This no. was before Esther <laughs> or anything. And Michael was practicing with a neighbor of mine uh, who I was visiting. He was practicing remote viewing, and they were doing healing on someone they'd never met. So that mm-hmm. that that was that goes back to my early origins. Uh, but I want to. I, I need to interrupt us and say that I'm here with Alan Steinfeld, and he is the curator and editor of the book "Making Contact: Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence." I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Alan Steinfeld, and he's the curator and editor of the book, Making Contact. And Alan, we were just talking about remote viewing and how I first met Michael. And I know that you met your partner, Jane, kind of, it it happened really spontaneously in some way. Yeah, I actually, you know, I was just saying I'm in Sedona, and when I First got to Sedona in 1987. I went, you know, me and a friend looking for the new age thing there. It was really big, the new age. And there was, yes. It was the harmonic convergence. Yes. 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 We all remember that. <laughs> yes. That's why I was in Sedona. But there was a little workshop before that called Laughing Your Way to Ascension. And, um, and this woman walks in. I didn't even see her face, but I felt this whoosh, this energy come by me. And it's like, and she was with a friend. I said, one of those two women have something for me. And then after I went over and I realized it was this woman, Jane. Well, we're not partners anymore, but we had these adventures together where we drove cross country after that. And that's when this encounter, this abduction for me, that's what changed. That's what sucked me down the rabbit hole. We were felt like we we were both frozen in the night. We just couldn't move. And actually, you know, I saw her like I, we talked to her like years later. I said, "You remember that night?" And she said, "Yeah, when we were both frozen." So <laughs> this was like twenty five years later. She said that. And I said, "Yes, exactly." And so um, I woke up the next morning. I didn't remember anything, but there was a mark on the back of my leg, on the back of my knee, that I actually didn't notice until I got back to New York. And my mother, who I think is, she of course would deny, but I probably had her own abduction experience, said, what's that? 
And I said, what? And she said, and there was this four-pronged puncture mark on the back of my knee. Who looks at the back of their knee? I didn't even know it was there. And then I asked Jane, and I said, you, what you meant was something weird happened? She said, yes, she had something on her ankle. And eventually... I told someone about that, and she said there's a woman who was connected to Bud Hopkins, one of the all-time great researchers, and she goes, yeah, that's an abduction mark. And I sort of just uh, got stunned for a moment, but then I wanted to know every single thing I could about the phenomena and how I was involved, and I got to meet Bud Hopkins and John Mack. Freaked me out at first. It, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because I, you don't remember, you don't remember, I mean, for most people, there's contactees who do remember their contact experience and maybe they're just more evolved. But for a lot of people, probably people of listening who are interested in that, we don't remember these experiences because it happens in another part of our brain that's beyond the normal waking consciousness. And that's a big part of making contact. But are we changed? I think we are, if we can make peace, like it took me 20-something years to make peace, and maybe even before, there's an expansion of awareness. It's like that saying, how do you keep them down on the farm after they've seen Barry? It's like, right. it's like, it's not always pleasant because it's a shock, but it's only a shock because it's different. It's out of this world, literally, figuratively, there's no room, and that's what the education, that's what the prep, that's what the subtitle preparations for the new realities of extraterrestrial contact. Because when they show up in whatever way, and it may be individually, if we're prepared, if we have the knowledge, it makes room for the experience. That's the phase of encounter I think we're in. Well, I, I want to go back to your own abduction, and I know that you talked about frozen, but. You use the word in the book, time mold. And this is where time gets manipulated. Uh, so it, it's like time in this other bigger field of consciousness is very different from our linear time. Well, exactly. So it was, yeah, I use the word frozen, but what I really mean, and it's in the book, you, I felt like we were taken out of the time flow as if like you have a film and this little section was cut out and and this whole experience happened being taken aboard, being meeting these beings. And then we were placed back right where we were taken out as if the film was then spliced back together. And so it's like somehow I think, and other people actually, um, the guy who Bob Lazar talked about this time freezing when he was uh, at Area 51 where they froze the flame of a candle. And I didn't know that until I actually heard Linda Moulton Howe talk about that. And it's like after I wrote that essay, it was a confirmation because we woke up in the morning, me and Jane, in the same position we went to bed in. And that's unusual. Just to read. Just to remember that's unusual. Who remembers how they went to... But it was like, boom, we were put back in. It's like we're taken and put back. So they, whoever they are, operate outside our time dimension. There was a, another very provocative part, um, and I think this was with Mary Rodwell, and she, um, I believe it was her, that, that talked about how 
people who are autistic or have Asperger's or ADHD, uh, these sorts of things, they're not terrible things that these are, are, are actually an expanded consciousness. So I'd love for you to speak about that. Well, thank you for asking that because it's a big part of the whole thesis. And it goes back again to John Mack. John Mack said, we are not going to understand this phenomena until we have other ways of knowing. That means we have to get out of the mechanistic, linear, logical model and use another intuitive sense. And I think in Mary Rodwell's essay, she says, these children are born who function outside the normal way of knowing, the normal way of thinking. And maybe they're the upgrade and maybe we're the dinosaurs if we still think that the world is linear and rational and sequential. So that's the shift. And we have to recognize maybe these children are really have an advantage as opposed to a disadvantage or a disability. Exactly, exactly. So that just brings up also, you talked about the children, like we, we've heard about the indigo children or the crystal children or children of the light. And are there, do you come across people who feel that there are hybrid beings here right now that they're already like mm. partly aliens mm. and partly human? Well, I, I, I think I wrote about this in my essay where um, after that trip cross-country, I was woken up in the middle of the night and handed this little creature that had these big eyes. It looked like a deer. It looked like someone put this deer in my hands, and I, and I, and I couldn't relate. Although and they, this was a dream. This was a right. dream okay. state. But you know the strange thing about dreams is that you forget them usually. I never have forgotten this dream. This was the 80s and that's and so I remembered in this dream state because like I said they don't if they were to appear to us right now we would go we would shift our state of consciousness. That's my theory. But anyway, so this little being was given to me that I think was made from partly my genetics and partly ET genetics. And um, I was supposed to bond with it, but I couldn't relate. It was too weird for me. Again, it was dream. But when I had an interview with Bashar, you know who Bashar is? Daryl Anka, who wrote an essay in the book also, channels, I don't know how, how much, he channels this extraterrestrial from the future named Bashar. He lives 300 years in the future and he comes through Daryl's body. He'd be a great interview for you. Um, yes. And he said... Thank you for your contribution, great, 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 great grandfather. I said, really? He said, yes, some of your genetics went into creating his species, which is a hybrid species, if if you go along with all that. I know that's a little out there. <laughs> and the person who's channeling uh, Bashar is Daryl Anka, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, he's been in contact with ETs for over 35 years. Yeah. Telepathically, yeah. yes. Yeah. So what say say something about how um, people who have Asperger's or autism, uh, what that might be. Well, we're trying to fit these new kids into an old way of thinking and being. So it's like you try to stuff a round peg into a square hole and we can't make them so we have to understand really a new mechanism of the brain, a new way of 
how they understand reality. How do they cognize the world? And cognition is this point of transition that we are in. Cognition. Do you know what that means as opposed to recognition? There's cognition and recognition. Help us understand the difference. Right. Thank you. Uh, Recognition is to recognize. But how do you take in the world to begin with? How do we know anything new by making associations and putting a new label or definition on a new phenomena. So what we're calling Asperger's or whatever those other names, ADHD, whatever, these are other ways that beings are cognizing reality. They're doing it differently than we have. So instead of trying to give them drugs, let's see, let's do an analysis. Maybe they are the hybrid children that have been modified that are helping us change our reality to fit a bigger picture. From what I understand about, let's say, autism, is that a, the being just... Um, their their field of consciousness is so big and so much is coming in in order to fit into our culture they have to consciously narrow it just just to to walk into a room because they're not recognized as as having this expansion of consciousness. Right, but you know what? So has ours. Our consciousness had to narrow in order to walk mm. into this reality, and we have lost a, a bigger view of perception of reality. Well, I'm I'm thinking there's there are those who say the brain, the mm-hmm. the physical organ of the brain, is actually a filtering. And those of us who have done, um, let's say, LSD or mushrooms or something, that they've done experiments where they hooked people up to brain waves, and they find that that the the visions that we get are the expanded, but the brain is actually shut down. It shuts it down. It shuts down that filter, and suddenly we're able to see so much more. Right, because the brain itself is just a receiver and sender. There's, it's like your radio. There's no musicians in your radio, right? <laughs> your the radio receives a signal, but if the radio breaks, it doesn't mean the signal has stopped. You know, that's us. The brain is an incredible, probably the most sophisticated tool. That, that exists on the planet. So we have to learn how to operate it. And these autistic children are maybe showing us a new way if we can get online with that. Exactly. I'm here with Alan Steinfeld, and he is the curator and editor of the book, Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. And I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Alan Steinfeld, and we're talking about making contact, which is the name of his book. And also, we're ta- it's about es- extraterrestrials and ETs. And um, I, I want to ask. <clears throat> How, if if those of us who who have never had this contact and want to call it into our lives in some way, what advice do you have for us in order to do that? Well, I just also want to say about the book, I'll get there, is that okay. it's not just my perspective. I, there's 11 other people, including George Norrie, that give um, their views on making contact because the phenomena is... Enigmatic. It has. There is no one truth. No one understands exactly what's going on. So I thought if I present many pieces of the puzzle, the reader could start to form their own picture of what that reality is. But there is an agreement, going back to your question, that if we quiet our minds, there's something called the CE5, which was really instituted by Stephen Greer, Close Encounter 5. If you go out away from the city into the wilderness or the skies that are lit up with stars, that alone is such a magical adventure, looking out into the stars and knowing you're part of the universe. But if you can quiet your mind, and we do this in meditation groups, CE5 groups, where you're just at a different way of thinking, your vibration of, of, of receiving and sending has quieted down and you're more in touch with the, with the land and the sky. If you put out a signal from this incredible tool of consciousness, our brain, our minds, and you send it out, and it's happened to me, lights will start to appear things will light up in the sky. And sometimes it takes, we've done two or three hours before everyone gets their consciousness at a point where we can tap in. But if you stay with it, you put out a high intention, things will start to show up. And if you use night vision glasses, goggles that light up the sky a thousand times, you will definitely see things. But if you just sit in the wilderness in a starlit night with no moon... You'll start to see things moving across the sky. Some of them are satellites, but some of them are vehicles, beings, ships from unknown dimensions. The book opens with Nick Pope. Yes. And he was uh, someone who really studied. He was part of the government in uh, studying uh, all of this information. And mm-hmm. we know the Pentagon has done the Blue Blue Book and all yeah. of that. There's just so much information and he talks about the slow leak mm-hmm. of information mm-hmm. I, I, I that made sense to me can you say something about that yes thank you the slow leak is what we're seeing now by government okay so they acknowledge that it's just a change in terminology we're not calling them ufos we're calling them uaps unexplained aerial phenomena as opposed to objects that switch between Object to phenomena, I think, is key because it takes in a bigger field of awareness. These are not just objects, something happening to us in this phenomenal field. So the government is leaking. If you look at the um, New York Times, December 16, 2017 article, we're saying, yes, we have $22 million we set aside for the special program called the ATIB, Advanced Aeronautic threat identification program that now 
um, has been closed, but there was just a bill out from Congress that the information from ATIP and the CIA and the FBI has to be released by early June. It was 180 days from the, it was at the end of the COVID relief bill, the last five pages. So we're reaching a time of disclosure. And why that's happening now is because we are ready. We, I think there's some pressing issue, I go back to the early part of the interview, where the vibration is changing, where they're coming ready or not, so we might as well be ready, because we need to know we're part of a greater reality, because we've been, a, like, you ever have a little splinter in your finger that just bothers your whole body? Oh, yeah. We're the splinter in the finger of the universe, the one, the one song that's being sung by all creatures. And you know, Alan, um, going back to the mm-hmm. the unidentified aerial phenomena, mm-hmm. it's it's such a different consciousness, or even a different uh, vibration or frequency that these things are coming in. But yet, some of them show up uh, as material objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just for our consciousness, because they are they have lights and everything yeah. and. There's someone, I think it's uh, Grant Cameron, yes. who talks about the wow theory of yes. the these things appear mm-hmm. in certain ways, in like they're real mm-hmm. material things. Mm-hmm. Right. Grant says, do these UFOs really need lights to go across the universe? He says, they're just doing it for us. He's saying these things. Things appear, if you see a UFO, you are meant to see it. It's not like, oh, a chance sighting. They come and they go, These do these zigzags. They come back and forth inside and they take off in a flash. They're doing this to wake us up in a slow, leaking way, going back to Nick Pope, to reality is bigger than we thought it is. So we better get used to it. We better get used to being, wow, we have to go outside the old scientific paradigm. This is what quantum physics has shown us, right? That consciousness is really the key to understanding it. And this is, Grant Cameron was a hardcore nuts and bolts guy, and he's had his revelation. Well, it's not about the craft anymore. It's about the experience, and it's about all about consciousness. And that set him off on a huge kind of spiritual journey. So that is really where we have to go with this. These beings are here to wake us up on a spiritual level of who we are as conscious beings, as expanded conscious beings. That's the gift they have for humanity, I feel. There are some people who, once they have had this contact, they're called lifers. It's like it's always with them. And also, I think it was someone, uh, um, Carolyn Corey maybe, who said, I think this is the last essay in the book, and you did an interview with her, and you said, well, are are they around? And she said, they're around us all the time. I think that's true. We have to widen our view of perception, of cognition. If we really expand our mind, there's so many dimensions intersecting with our reality, but we've been so conditioned to just look at the, out this narrow window. But look, there's radio waves, there's Wi-Fi, there's everything, and... There are beings of other realities, guides, some people call them, uh, you know, uh, many frequencies that we have the facility 
to to perceive, but we just haven't been taught to. That's why going back to remote viewing, like, how do you do that? Unless you already have the mechanism. We have to turn on the software that makes us see these new realities. Well, you know, Ellen, I'm thinking of some of the words that came to us that we were more familiar with uh, when we watched, let's say, Star Trek. And we talk about um, anti-gravity or beam me up, Scotty, teleportation. And I'm thinking, I was surprised to learn that John Wheeler the, the famous physicist, I think, from uh, Yale. I'm not sure right. where, but uh, he used the word wormhole. He created that worm, uh, oh that my word. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. I thought that was just a Star Trek term, but it's it's a physics term. Well, the Einstein-Rosen bridge is a way where if you're with enough gravity and force, you bend space and time so you can actually create enough create a wormhole if you have enough energy, but maybe there's other ways. So yes, that's how maybe these ETs get here beyond time and space. And I think I think that even in Austria and China, I think is mentioned in one of the essays that they actually have done a teleportation of, of some particle. It's not something that's alive. Right. I asked Hal Puthoff about this because Hal Puthoff's really involved with all this, um, you know, in government thing. He says we can teleport properties of something, so like of an atom. So the properties of this atom was teleported. It's the same as the properties of the one of the original. So in a way, that's teleportation. That's the early signs of teleportation, that the properties. So we can teleport you somewhere else if we reassemble all the properties that make you you. I mean, that's the science that mm -hmm. I think they're going mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but... It is science fiction, but what was science fiction is now reality, right? Well, everything is born of the imagination, isn't it? And then it comes into the world. Right. Tesla said you're going to be able to hold a little device in your hand where you can talk to anyone on the planet anytime. That was 1909. He said that. Even in that first article that came out in the New York Times that said they were studying UFOs, these aerial phenomena, it says what we thought was science fiction is now science fact. Mm -hmm. That is in the New York Times. Well, for sure, we're living in very exciting times, and we need all the help we can get to expand our consciousness so we can take care of this planet and all the life on it in better ways. Uh, so I just want to thank you uh -huh. so much, Alan, for being with us today. Oh, thank you. I know my view is a little optimistic, very optimistic. Some people say, well, we have to fear. But look at the choice we have. If we don't expand our mind— our consciousness. Look what we've done to the planet and each other and ourselves. This is an opportunity for a new story, a new reality to unfold. And I think it's the most exciting thing that can possibly happen to human civilization because they are gentle with us from my perceptions. Thank you. Thank you for closing off with that. Thank you. I've been speaking with Alan Steinfeld, curator and, and editor of Making Contact, the book Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com slash newrealities. And you'll find his many interviews that he's conducted. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3730. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.